Welcome to the Innovative Leader Podcast, featuring Christy Geiger, Executive Coach with Synergy Strategies, and David Phillips, Professor, Consultant, and Coach. Hey folks, uh, this is David, and um, we're back with Christy, and we're going to talk today on this episode of the Innovative Leader about um, innovation in times of crisis and pandemic. And uh, one of the things we're going to do today is um, is look at a couple of different things. One is um, we're going to kind of touch on Everett Rogers' um, theory, uh, the diffusion of innovations. We're going to use one of his graphs to, to kind of make a point here. Um, and then we're also going to talk about why you should innovate, how you should innovate, uh, in times of crisis, you know, we're going into to COVID. We're not going into COVID. We've been in uh, COVID mode for, gosh, what it feels like a month, six weeks in some cases. And, um, you know, society is telling us to be patient, be patient, be patient. And, and uh, it's hard to be patient. Um, it's hard to be patient and not want to go outside or not want to go to the park or not want to, you know, just do something. But, but for innovators, it's really tough um, to be patient and wait on trying to innovate and, and inspire and, and live out a vision and a calling. And so we're going to talk about that today um, on today's episode. So, Christy, once you um, – let's talk about that. Let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, what you're feeling because I know you're, you're, you're a visionary. You've got, you've got your own – ideas and your own things that, that you want to do and push and launch. And, and, uh, so what kind of, what, you know, how are you, how are you hearing what's going on in our culture? <clears throat> to me, it's interesting. And it's really more the pulse that I get from my clients, which are in different places of the United States, some outside of the United States, which is really interesting to notice where different people are, some visionary, some not, um, and also in our demographic, we're all kind of in different places, right? There's a, right. a little um, summary going around Facebook that says we're not all equal. It's not the same experience for everyone because there's always the demographic of people who need to are an essential business and they're going to the hospital, they're going to the grocery store, whatever it is to work and to serve. And that demographic has a different experience of this than other people. And yep. those essential businesses have a different experience. And then there's people who are at home and um, maybe they're working or doing school from home and they have a different experience. And then there's people who don't have work at all and have been laid off and they have a different experience. And so there's really a massive change that has occurred for everybody, but the way that it impacts each of us is a little bit different. The way we handle it is a little bit different. And sometimes right now there's so much noise, whether it's just from articles coming out and going around, you know, what do you need to be concerned about? What should you be doing? What should you not be doing? There's so much noise. And sometimes I think it feels especially for the visionary or that innovator or that leader is what is this balance of sensitivity? And that while we've been in a season where people have had high, higher amounts of anxiety, higher amounts of fear, um, how do we be sensitive to that to leaders who may have people who are working from home and their productivity maybe is better 
maybe it's worse. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to find how to check in with that leader to meet them where they're at and to help them be productive. And at the same time, the leader is looking, how do I lead forward? And what does leading forward look like? And to not be so far ahead of things that they're out of touch with where people are at, but yet to lead forward. And it can be a real challenge to feel like you're meeting that balance well. And is this a time to hunker down and not innovate? Is this a time to innovate? Is innovation wrong? Because it seems like a lot of people are like, slow down. Everything <laughs> is changing. And, and so they want things to kind of, they, they are craving stability and there's right. a lack of stability. And I think that makes innovation feel wrong. And yet really, I would say this time needs innovative leaders. And that if you have the uh, emotional capacity and you can get in the right emotional space in many different quadrants of life and business and work, we need innovation. Teachers have had to innovate the way that they teach. A lot of people, we've had to innovate the way that we work when you've had to shift to working at home. So if you have the capability to shift to innovate in a way, I think that's what we want to call people towards today and look at what are the different stages that we can get in to identify what stage might I be in? How do I move into a different stage? What do I want? And how do we as leaders really um, get in that innovative space when it feels a bit counterculture right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to even set up a routine uh, these days, much less try to, to get in this space to, to innovate, but people certainly are doing it right. Uh, Dyson, uh, the guy who, um, who founded Dyson put together, took 10 days to put together an, uh, a ventilator that was specific for, you know, uh, the coronavirus and was able to, uh, and would be able to scale. So, so, you know, obviously he's got some, maybe some advantages we don't, things like that, but, but we all need to be in that place. We try to find that place where we can innovate and, and, and that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so what about innovation? Like what are we really talking about? And when we think back to Everett Rogers and when he first created this model in the sixties, the diffusion of innovation, Mm -hmm. he was kind of talking about these different quadrants of where we can show up because I think right now, even good leaders, you're in the space where you want to, and then all of a sudden you don't feel motivated and maybe suddenly you feel sad. Um, I was listening to a great podcast by Brene Brown about emotions and just being aware. She had a great guest and I can't remember his name right now. It was just recent. It was last week's podcast, but about our emotions and how we just seem to be present with our emotions. And so I think today we're trying to just identify uh, kind of those social areas of innovation and that curve. Yeah. So, um, so we'll, we'll talk about the, so, and I, and I listened to that podcast. It's the permission to feel. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, it's an interesting book too, by the way. Uh, I've, I've listened to it, to a good bit of it. Uh, his book, right? Yeah. To his book. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is, um, that, that uh, and, and I'll go ahead and let me just, I want to pull this up on my screen real quick. And this is, uh, this actually comes from Wikipedia, uh, but I will go ahead and share this. We can talk about, so Rogers was studying how technology, um, 
let's see if I can share technology um, had the had the ability to uh, you know what I'll just put it up and after we're done but he, he was he was looking at how technology uh, diffused um, through uh, a, a culture and technology was not just you know we think of technology as a computer or something like that this was um, even more simple, he he, because uh, he was a professor of rural sociology, and uh, this was this theory was was evidenced and practiced in a in a in a very rural. Um, I think it was overseas even um, uh, study, and so one of the things he he talked about was that there are five different zones or five different regions in which people. Um, innovate or where innovation spreads throughout a, a community or a culture. Uh, the first, which has like two and a half percent were innovators. These are, um, these are people who have, uh, who are willing to take risks. They have uh, high social status. They have uh, financial, if the ability to handle this financially, they're, they're social, they have social contacts, um, those kinds of things. And they have a, a high risk tolerance, so they can handle risk. Um, and so those were about two and a half percent. And then the, the next zone or the next area um, were the early adopters. And so these these people have a high degree of, of opinion leadership. Now, what's what's interesting, uh, and and I'll go back to some some additional uh, research that was done in the forties. Uh, they did some research back in the '40s that looked at the the impact of political ads uh, on the outcome uh, on, on changing people's minds or influencing people. This is in and um, in talking with some other people. Uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, it turns out this is part of some uh, sales processes as well. But anyway, so the idea was that the political ads didn't influence the masses. Political ads influenced opinion leaders who influenced the people that they knew in, in their social context. And so the diffuse, so there is this diffusion. So the, 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 the political ad is shown People who are uh, who are sensitive to that issue or who understand that issue absorb it, and then they influence those people around them. And so that's how how political commercials, political ads affect us. They don't affect the masses; they affect opinion leaders, who then affect the people around them. And so this early adopter f- framework. Um, it is built around people who have um, who who see the innovation, who see the idea, and are able to spread that um, throughout their social network, um, which is really cool. Um, and then the the third category he <clears throat> he labeled was the early majority, and so they adopt an an innovation after a, a period of time, significantly longer than the innovators and early adopters. They're at about thirty-four percent, uh, and they. He said they have um, average social status. 
Um, and they, they, uh, they seldom hold the positions of opinion leadership. So they're, they're more followers than anything. And then you have the later majority. So they have to have, they approach everything with skepticism, right? So everything they have to be, everything has to be proven. And they're about 34%. And then you have the laggards, which are the last folks to, to adopt. Um, and they just, they're just focused on the way it used to be. Um, and they are at about 16%. And so that broad, those broad zones, those broad categories of people um, is, is how he, um, how he divided the way people adopt a new innovation. And um, so we're going to, we're going to kind of hit on some of those because um, we need people in that two, 2.5%. We need people in that 13.5% of early adopters, um, not the 68% that are early and late majority, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, people are telling us to slow down. People are staying in the house, you know. Um, but I did see something the other day on Facebook, and whether that's tr- this is true or not, but I, I like the idea that during the plague back in, the 1600s, um, Newton was sent home from college and he developed calculus. You know, uh, we need, we need that kind of innovation, whether it's developing calculus or building a ventilator or what, just to think forward and to, to push and change because there's so much that could be, if, if we're, if we're open to what's going on now, we can see ways we can improve our world because we're in a pandemic culture regardless. So your thoughts on that, Christy? Well, and I think what's interesting about the model, you know, I'm sure his model has a defined demographic or purpose right. point that he's talking about. To me, what's relevant right now and fascinating to use the model for is sometimes as leaders, there can be a frustration with people who are struggling to work from home or struggling to come to work or struggling to adapt to this normal or whatever it is. Maybe we're even struggling in different ways. But what I think is fascinating is when you look on the other side of that chasm to the early majority and the late majority and the laggards, really that's the larger percent of a population because this is a social system, right? It's about social innovation. So it's not that we're saying, oh my gosh, everyone should be innovators. Come on world, let's all be innovators. Exactly. But the model helps us to understand that really less around 15% of people have the capability to do that. And we were talking, Dave and I were talking before about how at different periods of our life, we may show up in different spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, just use myself, Instagram has not come very easily to me, whatever. It's not really that complicated. It's been around a long time. But I would definitely put myself in the laggard category there. I just don't get it. And I get confused all the time when I'm trying to do something and ask my teenager for help. And she's like, mom, you're, this isn't that complicated. And I can tell I'm in that laggard category. So I think that there are ways that 
we can take this almost as a personal inventory to be that like, where am I in the later category? Where am I late majority? Where am I early majority? And where am I gifted and talented? What things seem obvious to me? Where, what ideas am I having where I may be an early adopter or an innovator? And what conditions can I create for myself so that the areas that I might have ideas or that I have strengths, gifts, and talents, that those ideas may come to fruition because I'm putting myself in the conditions so that those ideas can come to the surface. And I think that it requires us to kind of look at how we live in each category to not get frustrated or judgmental of people who might be in a early, later, lagger category because the reality is the model shows us that's normal. That, that is a social curve of the way that we adopt to change, the way right. we adopt to different things. You had mentioned too about, how did you say that? It was about um, not just adopting to innovation and change, but an economic change. What, before yeah, we so, yeah, so it's, um, so as you read those categories, you really begin to see that the, um, the way Rogers defines those terms is that um, there it's socio socioeconomic categories. Do you have the financial resources? What are your social contacts? Um, who do you, so it's, who do you know? How much, how many, how much resources do you have? Um, and how well can you get the information out there about what you're doing? Um, and so, I mean, that's how Rogers defines. Um, and you know, that to me, the irony is, um, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot is the, the, the people who we thought were essential in our world, um, are not so essential right now. Um, the ones we deemed essential are the essential are, are doctors and nurses and grocery baggers and, Right now, they have a high level of influence, and they have um, they have the they're re- almost re- being required to adapt and adjust because of the situation they're in. And if they come up with ideas, this is the opportunity to begin to spread them and share them, uh, because right now the world's listening, and there is no greater audience in the world right now for an innovator who's who's working. Uh, to um, to do something in an essential area um, than right now. The timing is perfect for them. Um, yeah, and again, I think that innovation is not, you know, there are great examples of people who are suddenly, you know, Legos is making face masks and, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's these amazing things. And I think sometimes we feel like very small humans where you're like, what can I do? Right. And you see this really great, um I think where people are making the face masks and doing what they can to help out. And the reality with this social model is really that influence happens in your own demographic and one step away, which is why each person's ability to influence. And I think it's really about influence and innovation um, that each person's ability to influence, whether it's an idea a concept, an encouragement, a solution, whatever it is that we're taking those ideas and sharing those because typically, and Rogers talks about this too, but 
typically innovation does not necessarily happen from um, while certainly a influential person or a figurehead leader can influence, we know both from millennials and we know from our own behavior and our current population, our current era, is that we respect most the people in our sphere and that in our sphere, we are more greatly influenced by those people. And he talks about that interesting thing of this whole adoption to diffusion and diffusion is more into the group and the masses. Adoption happens more individual to individual. So don't think that your thoughts, your ideas and your influence is too small or too mediocre that you kind of marinating on these things is really important because you are learning things that you can then ripple out um, that then the people who you influence, they begin to ripple out, which then creates the larger diffusion. So can we go back to the five categories and let's just look at some pros and cons of each category. Sure. Um, Okay. So let's start with the laggards because when I think about the laggards, sometimes we look at that word and we're like, Oh man, laggards. Like I don't want to be a laggard. It's kind of like, uh, I love uh, Scott Alexander's rhinoceros success book. And he talks about cows and rhinos and the cows are really made of this like horrible lagging cow that really gets nothing done because he's painting it because you want to be a rhino, which is effective in his example and in that book to get things done. But I think sometimes laggards can kind of get a short end of a stick a little bit. And again, like I'm not trying to rewrite Roger's model, but I'm just saying the way that I see it to me, laggards sometimes are, they are those skeptics. They are that the slowest group to adopt, but a lot of times they are maintaining a tradition. They're trying to hold on to a core belief. They may be very detailed and they feel like there's not enough information out there yet in order to really transform or conform. Um, So these people tend to be um, very rock solid kind of people where they they don't just change because the wind changed directions. They're like, no, no, we're staying the same. And so I think there's pros and cons to that laggard. And again, I think we want to be careful to not put them in the bad box. We're just saying that there's a 16% laggard that adopts a new concept very slowly. And we can look at this and go, okay, um, COVID-19, the 16% who finally embodied the stay-at-home orders and took a long time to get to that. Um, It's not always, the profile doesn't always show up the same, but there's always going to be that tail end that is slow to finally adopt or embrace a cultural message that has gone out. So to me, it's just, whether it's a resistance, like don't take away my freedom, I'm not going to buy into that, but it's like that last tail end 16 that is saying, I'm not going to do that. I don't know that this is right. I don't know that I agree with it. They're clinging and hanging on to their freedoms and their independence. Right. Um, what What other attributes or characteristics do you see about the laggard category? Well, yeah. I mean, so they're they're, they're really hesitant, um, and 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 I think these are risk averse people, uh, personality wise. Um, even financially, you know, socioeconomic wise, they're, <clears throat> they're not going to take a chance uh, until there's an, they're either forced to, or there's an absolute assurance that, that, that when they take that step and, and, and take that risk that, that they're not going to fall on their face. Uh, these are people who may have been emotionally burned in the past over a topic who 
um, just don't have the resources to take to take the risk, uh, as I said, um, and and that's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, they don't have time. They're working too hard. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons why someone could be uh, in that category, um, and uh, you know, like you said, you're you're a, a laggard as far as Instagram. Look, there's there's all kinds of things that I I would consider myself a laggard in. Um, even though in most cases I'm an innovator and an early adopter. Um, but, uh, I, I think, yeah. And I, and I think you were right. We're not, this is not a bad thing. Um, in the past I would, there's a, there's a lot of people I would have put in a laggard category, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, <coughs> excuse me, but, um, just in general and in general, um, that may be the case, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything negative about that as well. Um, but you know, in, in some cases, some of the laggards have proven, you know, they've held off, they've held off, they've held off and they've proven to be right. Uh, right. you know, so it's, it's, it, it is what it is. Um, um, so, you know, that's just, there's just a, a kind of a description. That's just a description of who they are. They're risk averse. Um, they're hesitant. They're, 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 they've all got, you know, other issues, whether it's emotional, financial time, there's, there's a lot of things going on in their lives that, that keep them from, from adopting and that's okay. Yeah. yeah, and to me, <clears throat> part of it is just recognizing how we handle it, right? So right. if you're in a visionary space and you have a laggard, that cre can create a lot of conflict, right? Because yeah, you absolutely. want that laggard to adapt. You want that laggard to get on board. And they're the person that's kind of driving with the brakes on. And you're like, you know, it's kind of like Makayla is saying to me, like, Mom, get with it. This isn't that complicated. Um, so when you understand something, when it makes sense to you, it, it's frustrating when that person is not getting it. And so to me, there's kind of this important balance of just recognizing, A, the disparity between the two places that sometimes conflict comes from where we are in the spectrum of adopting a change or adopting an idea. And so that can create frustration to the laggard. It's like, you are moving too fast. I don't right. understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And it feels very frustrating to that person who's already adopted. They feel frustrated where they're like, I don't get it. What is so complicated? It's not that complicated. I need you to get up to speed. And to me, the, the opportunity is to not stand in judgment of where the person is, but to recognize that there's these different phases of social adoption that we have. And that in some places it's like, huh, okay, so I'm in that space. So do I want to be a laggard? Okay, am I maybe resisting this more than I need to? Is there something that I need in order to feel better about adopting this? Is there something that I can do that would help me to feel less anxious or nervous or fearful about this change? And to me, a lot of times, it really is a change model that is in our face, that this whole thing really is about change. Like we talk about innovation, which is kind of new and different, but really it comes down to change yeah. and embodying change. Um, if we bump over to that late majority category, they tend to be the conservatives. Uh, also, it can be uh, skeptics in a way, the late right. majority, not super different from the late masses. I would say that's kind of, you know, uh, light blue, dark blue shade almost. 
um, in that they manifest largely the same. It's just that there's a late majority that's 34% maybe pumping the brakes versus that 16% laggard is like with the brakes on uh, kind of a category. So very similar, I would say, with that late majority. But again, just having a heart of compassion and understanding and to think of yourself, like when am I a late majority? When am I a laggard? Um, to me, I have the most compassion. My, I remember when we got our VCR and my mom had a really hard time figuring out how to put a video in. And we were like, mom, it's just not that simple. You turn it on, you put the video in and you press play. Like it is not complicated. (laughs) And she could not get it. And when I was doing this whole Instagram thing with Makayla, I kind of had my own flashback of my mother and how important it is to have compassion and how important it is to have understanding and that a lot of times we do have a tendency, especially as leaders, we can lead forward and then just get frustrated with people who are struggling with change. But what you have to look at, if you add the 34, 34 and 16, the majority of the world struggles deeply with change. We ourselves struggle deeply with change in different categories. So think of an area that you're struggling in and use that and imagine if someone was like, come on, just get it. What's your problem? Uh, nobody wants to be treated that way. So right. give them the space, give them the oxygen, give them um, the support to figure out what do they need in order to onboard to get more comfortable. Right. And this, so this is a leader. I mean, this is a huge leadership issue because <clears throat> just think about what you, what you said when you were talking about the laggards, what, you know, you, you, it was almost uh, as you were you were speaking. You know what what is holding me back? What you know those kind of, the the questions that we have to learn to ask. Because if we can ask the right questions for the laggards, we actually may be able to bring them on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we ask what you know what what could what would bring you more certainty. Uh, and, and as leadership, that as leaders, that's a that's a huge thing. We we have to be able to. Somebody said, and maybe it was in that Brene Brown podcast. Um, and, and I can't remember the exact term he used, but I, I was thinking about it uh, today. <clears throat> we need to be uh, emotional surveyors of the people we work with, mm-hmm. and. And be able to, to dig down and ask questions that are not intimidating, but help uncover and dig up what's going on in the other to help them see themselves or a situation differently so they can make adjustments on their part to manage and deal with the emotions that may be blocking them from doing something that could benefit them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't really realize or identify. I think that'd be an interesting exercise to just take a grid with five columns and put innovator, early adapter, early and late majority and laggard and, and identify for yourself where you're in that category in five different or 10 different things in your life. I think it would give a lot of perspective. And sometimes we don't realize that we're kind of being a late majority on something. And then I think on the other side is just really that compassion and that it's not really about um, 
if somebody wants to change, great. But if somebody is stuck in that, if they're, if that's not stuck, but if that's where they're at, then that's where they're at. And it's like compassion to be like, yeah, this is really overwhelming. I don't, it it does seem like, how are you going to find a job in this economy in this society that feels overwhelming but for the person who's ready to go you know I don't know how I'm going to do that but I want to get ahead of it I want to figure it out right Right. now we're tipping into how can you innovate yourself how can you position yourself for when the market opens up what can you be doing right now we have those conversations all the time Kylie not to talk about her so much uh, today, but she works at a um, event center during the summer. And she's like, I don't know how much of that job I'm going to have. What else can I do? And I said, yes, what else can you do? What skills do you have? What do you enjoy doing? Um, And so she's looking at online courses for how she can do things that are more virtual, which is great. So that's really moving more to that early majority, early adopter. And in that early adopter position, we stop and we reflect, what can I do? What can I shift? How do I participate in this change so that I'm not fighting or resisting it, but I'm going with the flow into it? I'm just noticing our time. Maybe we should yeah. jump into some strategies for innovators and how yeah. to in that innovator space. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good idea. Um, I think one of the, and I, I kind of mentioned one already is um, we've got to we've got to have the space to be able to sit down and, and think and process everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's a room or whether that's, you know, um, an empty office building or whether that's your car or a swing on the, you know, on the front porch, find a place um, where you can process and think about your own emotions and how you feel, uh, but also process what's going on around you when you're in, in, in listening to what, what's going on uh, in the lives of your family, in the lives of your friends, how, how, they're processing how they're communicating what what they need and and just sit down and process all of that and that presents um you know gives you the space to start thinking about what i can do differently or what can what can change to make this better uh so i think that's that's one is is find that space and make that time I love that. Um, On my website, Synergy Strategies, there's an article on insights, creating conditions for insights. And it's kind of referencing back to neuroscience and how our brain creates or finds new insights, not when we are hardcore in the office and going, what can I innovate? What can I figure out? That is not when your brain is going to come up with a new insight. But that insights really are the process of connecting miscellaneous things. But it happens when you're washing the dishes, when you're mowing the grass, when, you know, you're just driving around the block, going for a walk. And so what you're talking about, I think, is critical that every leader creates space for downtime, whether you're journaling, whether you're listening to music, but to allow your mind to process and to think because it's not going to come when we force it. It's going to come when we do our work, we're vigilant about learning and growing, but then when we step back and allow those pieces, our brain to put them together because our brain will do that. I like that point. That's great. Yeah. I think another one is to, um, is you've got to stay in learning mode and this is real hard. I mean, it's, it's been hard for me because of our routine's been disrupted. Life has been transformed even in my own household. Um, and it has, it has hit pause on some of the things that I even wanted to, to read or 
you know, the time that I have to do that, those kinds of things. But we got to stay in that learning mindset. And one of the things that um, I always have really cool thoughts when I'm reading something and something that I've already read or something that I've already processed or something that I've already done, um, my brain goes, you know what? That's just like, or that fits in with this. And, and those, <clears throat> so, so, so it's a real cool book. It's, it's 10, 15 years old. It's called the Medici effect. The Medici's were a family in Florence. They were a very um, prominent family. Uh, they were bankers. And one of the things that led to the, to the, uh, not the industrial revolution, the, the Renaissance was that Medici brought all of these artists and craftsmen and all of these different people with different skills together. And in that, that um, cohort of different backgrounds and different frameworks came the rise of the Renaissance. And, and it, and it brought Europe back from the, from the dark ages and it was because all of these different ideas were connecting and people were creating. He created this creative space because people were sitting together from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different disciplines, and they joined their ideas together. We see that today in um, neurobiomechanics. I mean, excuse me, biomechanical engineering, which is a, a combination of mechanical engineering and biology. You see it in uh, neurolinguistics, which is neurology, the brain research, and communication. You see it in all these dis different disciplines that have arisen because people from different backgrounds said, you know, I think I could do that. Uh, I, I think I could do something with that. And so I think you need to, to stay learning, be learning, stay in a learning environment, and, and maybe reach out to people with diverse backgrounds and you never know what comes up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's a great point. I do think there's an interesting thing. Another point with neuroscience is that we tend to surround ourselves with our own biases. So we have our own biases and we tend to have a circle that also shares our biases and people who learn deeper, wider, greater, and therefore have greater innovations and greater insights are those who have a diversified winner circle around them. Mm -hmm. And so they have people of different cultures, different locations. That's why to me, it's so fun. I love that international coaching is awesome to understand what's happening with people in different parts of the world is so fascinating and um, rich, right? But the more you diversify, and even to talk to people with different political views than yours, right. a lot of times we get so entrenched in our own viewpoint, we deepen our bias rather than really looking objectively at things. Um, another thing, just to play off from the point about learning too, I think that learning is just this curiosity mode. Mm -hmm. And when we're in this curiosity mode, it allows us to see new things. 
And when we're not in a curiosity mode, we have this assumption that we already know. And when we already know when something isn't working, then we have a tendency to get frustrated because something that we thought was working or that we depended on is not working. And so we just are in conflict with this frustration. Versus if we can approach something with curiosity, we ask different questions. What can I learn from this? What's new and different? How could this evolve? How could this be better? What's working? What's not working? We're able to ask a lot of curious questions. And then in addition to that, I think we can kind of move it into emotional intelligence. I think it's a huge area for learning right now. If you don't know about it, go learn about emotional intelligence. But if you look at the quadrants of emotional intelligence, it's learning about myself. How am I feeling? What's going on for me? Um, How is this impacting me? Do I feel up or down? Where are my ideas? You're learning about yourself. And then with emotional intelligence, it's also this awareness of others. How is everyone else? How is my team? How are they looking? How are they feeling? Um, How is our our productivity? Do they feel safe? Have I communicated well? It's really, you know, first this awareness of self and others, which then tips to this management or the ability to respond to myself and others. So that's where I think learning and emotional intelligence can really play together too. Yeah. And I I would just, another one that that popped in my head is allow yourself to go down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason, the reason I say that is, um, uh, as, as I was going back and refreshing m- myself on um, uh, the diffusion of innovations, I saw something that was intri- intriguing to me. Um, and it was, uh, I was just scanning something on, on Wikipedia, in fact, and it was social network analysis. Mm. And so guess what? <laughs> I've downloaded some articles on social network analysis because it's fascinating because it, 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 talks about how memes spread, how uh, viruses spread, um, and uh, how relationships, because it's, it's, it's all about relationships and networks. So, so just in, you know, in, in, you know, kind of preparing for some of this, um, j- now I've, I've gone into an area where um, I have very little knowledge and very little background, but, but uh, that curiosity of, well, what is social awareness social network awareness, you know, now I've got three or four journal articles that I've downloaded that I'll probably read uh, over the next day or two um, and, and give me a better understanding potentially of what's going on with COVID and maybe why or why not, you know, we can, we can start to step back into some level of normalcy. So just sometimes chasing a rabbit is, is a good thing. That's awesome. Sorry, I talked over you. Say that last part. No, I just said I think it's I think it's important. I think we ought to we ought to give ourselves the freedom to chase a rabbit. I love that point, and I think that that also dovetails on conditions. I'm oh, sorry. Let's flex my can my internet is unstable. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, so with that dovetails on the conditions for insights and that a lot of times when we try to force and we're just sitting there, think of something versus we allow ourselves to go down that rabbit hole and you start reading something or you're watching a video or brings you to a new Blinkist book, some book summary or a new audio to check out or a new conversation to be had or a new person to follow or a new profile to check out. Right. That wandering of down the rabbit hole happens 
that is when we learn and new information comes into our brain that is diversified and different than the biases that we know and have. And that really is rich ground for cultivating those insights. So learning right now, and I've had a lot of my leaders say that they're like, Oh, I'm out of my habit. I'm out of my daily routine. I'm not reading. I need to get back to it. And yes, we all need to be in that space, whether it is, you know, listening to your book summary while you're doing your daily walk or whatever it is, we have to be in that space because that is what's going to cultivate those new ideas. Yep. Okay. Just noticing our time, maybe one more last point. I really think in leading forward a condition for innovative leaders is a growth mindset. And we obviously talk about growth mindset a lot but it's the Carol Dweck model originally that came into education. But really it's those questions. It's also scarcity or prosperity. Sometimes we can get a very scarce perspective, which certainly these times when economic things start to flare up and concerns of that happen can trigger scarcity. Sometimes when we are feeling like, oh, I can't have that, I can't do that, we can also get activated by scarcity. And just to be very aware of what you're doing that creates a scarcity feeling versus a prosperity feeling. And prosperity doesn't have to be this horrible, rich mongering thing. It's really just looking at what can I do? What is the possibility? What is the opportunity here? And so when we kind of couple this growth mindset with this prosperity mindset, we are able again to step back, to follow our gut, to look at new ideas, to look at possibilities, to look at, um, that's great. So we haven't eaten out or we haven't been doing this. What does this let me do? What does this provide for me? Right. And it's huge. And those things lead into leading forward because when we lead forward, we're encouraging people to, to grab that for themselves because whenever we are looking at what we don't have and can't do, we get stuck. When we look at what we can do, whether that's for ourselves, our team, those around us, it opens up new opportunity and expands us into new territory, which to me is part of leading forward. It's helping ourselves to see that and encouraging others to see that, to broaden their perspective and to see what else is possible. Right. It's your self-talk. This is the story you tell yourself, what you can do or what you can't do. And, and that will always, almost always be true. What you tell yourself you can or you can't do will almost always become true because that's what's in your head. So just be aware of the self-talk, be aware of the stories that you're telling yourself. And what you're saying out loud, because as right. a leader, you're having that talk. Um, and even though we want to acknowledge and affirm, yeah, I get this is a, this is a tough time. Um, and this is challenging and not, but, and how can we leverage this? What can we do with this? What is our opportunity? I think allows leaders to stand in a position of leading forward versus colluding in the stuckness at times. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're kind of at our time. There's so many more things that we could talk about with this. It'd be fun um, to see comments that or other things that people are doing to lead forward and stay in this innovative space. There's lots of stuff, again, in neuroscience around how our brain works, things that help you emotionally and logically to be an innovative space. So it's a great spot to let yourself go down a rabbit hole and explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, don't forget to subscribe, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, hit the subscribe button in your, your um, podcast 
feed and uh, so you can stay in touch. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Right. And we hope this helps to create some uh, inspired thought as you lead forward this week. Take care. Absolutely. You too, Christy. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye.